I think we've complicated a really simple business. My dad used to say this. We've complicated a really simple business of find a seller, find a buyer, and put them together. We've got all this other crap that goes on, you know. I mean, we confuse the shit out of people. I think consumers want four things today. I think they want speed, they want simplicity, they want transparency, and they want personalization. And that might sound complex, but it ain't that complex. You're listening to Elevate, the official podcast of Elite Agent for real estate industry sales professionals, property managers, and leaders. With thanks to our partner, Connect Now, Elevate brings you the best tools, thinking, and strategies to elevate your results. For more information about how Connect Now can make moving easier for your clients, visit connectnow.com.au. And to get new episodes of Elevate directly to your inbox, sign up at eliteagent.com slash subscribe. Here is your host, Samantha McLean. Hey, hey everyone, it's Sam here. In today's episode, we have a special guest who spent over four decades in the property industry. He's a board chairman, a digital media expert, a passionate advocate for innovation in real estate and a storyteller. Not only that, His unique perspective and insightful approach have made him one of the most respected figures in the industry. His contributions have been shaping the real estate landscape, not just in Queensland, not just Australia, but he's also had an impact in the USA, where he's been an ambassador for Inman for many years. His work is characterized by engaging in creative marketing strategies, and he's known for his commitment to providing insightful and genuine professional advice. And to tell you the truth, he did pretty well at our Christmas quiz last year too. If you search for him online, you'll find many Peter Brewers, but there is only one that Peter Brewer. So Peter, welcome to the show. Wow, that is spectacular. I could have written that myself. And Sam, can I just say, of all the introductions I've had, that is without question the most recent. So thank you for it. The most recent, yes. (laughs) Absolutely. It's an honor. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, amazing. I don't know how you've escaped me up until this point, but we're here now. So you're here, right? You can't leave. No, I'm here. Door's locked. I'm in. Let's do it. Let's challenge a few things. Absolutely. So 2024, did you make any New Year's resolutions for 2024? No point. Absolutely no point making New Year's resolutions. I'm 64 years old. I've done them for the previous 63. Never kept one of them, so I've now just accepted, just accepted the fact that it ain't going to happen. <laughs> just continue having a great time. That's a very honest answer. So there was a long intro there because you have spent like four decades in the industry. And I want to go back in time to the 80s, actually, because I think if my math is correct, that's probably when you started in real estate. And so, you know, a lot of people know who you are, but I first want to ask a couple of questions that I ask to a lot of people on this show, which is, did you choose real estate or did real estate choose you? Great question. And I feel like um, going back that far, I should put on my own hair and my own teeth to go reminiscing back to that far. And I think real estate kind of chose me. I came from a real estate strong family and we grew up on dinner table conversations about property and people and helping people and all that kind of stuff. So it kind of just was going to happen. Although what was funny about it, it was that Dad had a professional's office on the base side in Brisbane, but my first job was actually with Ray White over on the Bay Islands. So I didn't actually jump straight into the family business. I served an apprenticeship over on the Bay Islands. 
So why was that like, I do hear that a bit on the podcast is like, you know, my dad was a real estate agent or my mum was a real estate agent, but I went and worked somewhere else. So why was that with you? He was the guy that always dotted the I's and crossed the T's and wanted things to be right. He was keen for me to do my apprenticeship somewhere else. So I did the stuff up in my own backyard, essentially, and bruised the family name. And what was amazing about it is I spent a couple of years at on the Bay Islands and in Cleveland around the Redlands area, learned so much. And when I felt that it was time to try and join the family business, by the way, I was still living at home with them, but working for a competitor. And when the time came to ask for a job, he said, well, let's look, you can come in for an interview. And I said, okay, cool. So we had an interview and I said, so how'd I go? And he said, look, ring me tomorrow and I'll let you know how you went. Dad was very <laughs> And so I rang him the next day and I said, so how'd I go? And he said, if you'd taken any notice, you would have seen on the back of the application form, there was a room for three references. You chose not to put those three references in. So I'm unable to process your, your application. But if you'd like to come back in and fill in those three names, I'll give it some further consideration. So he was absolutely making sure that I knew how to dot the I's, cross the T's, and he was going to make sure to say to the rest of the team, if the young fellow's coming in, he's coming in understanding the rules. It just wasn't going to be a cakewalk. So it was fantastic. And so how did you get started? Do you remember your first sale? Like, I know it was a while ago, but everyone usually remembers their first sale. Yeah, it was a $2,000 block of land on a place called Wahini Drive on Russell Island, and I was shitting bricks because um, I had no idea what to do. The contract was on the bonnet of an old island car. There were an English couple at the Green Dragon Cafe, and I had no idea what to do. And I drove up to our principal's place and said, help, and we got through it. So, yeah, I love that. It was a cracker. And then when I left there and went across to Dad's, I sold five properties in seven days, and I went, how long has this been going on? <laughs> so that was the first and then subsequently did okay from there. Yeah, amazing. You know, there's many ways to get listings today. You know, people look at old OFI books, there's the internet, there's all sorts of things. But the 80s was the decade of, you know, like mixtapes and golden age of music and all of that sort of thing. I remember a time when there were no mobile phones, no internet, because that's how old I am. What was the main way that you would prospect and get listings back then? So, Sam, fascinating. I actually dug out my old Ray White Cleveland business card a few weeks ago. It didn't have the three in the front, so it was you know only seven digits, six digits, whatever. It didn't have an email address. It didn't have a fax. It didn't have a website. didn't have any of that stuff. It didn't even have a photo, and I was kind of half-decent looking in those days. A photo would have been okay. So how did I prospect in those days? My first gig with the people down in Cleveland was to source land for the local builders. You buy land for $21,000 a block in Thornlands and that Capalabay area. And so I was given a white pages, the old RP data printouts that come with the old state government printouts. And I would sit there and cross-reference this telephone directory in Melbourne. And I'd ring people and ask them, are you interested in selling your block of land? I mean, you've got plenty of rejections, but geez, we did a lot of business. So it was just hard yakka, building relationships. If they weren't ready to sell land, you know, I was certainly on the shopping list for the next time down the track. So, yeah, that was it. It was also a time, you know, if I think about the early residential days in Manly, we were operating with 300 to 400 listings. There were no such things as exclusive agencies or sole agencies. The agents would meet at the Waterloo Bay Hotel on a Friday night with a skin full of booze, tell the biggest lies they could about who sold the most during the week, talk about what listings were coming up, and we would happily do 50-50 conjunctions. 
Now you're kind of worried that they're going to run you over in the middle of the street. But the relationships were strong back in those days. We had a thing called Multilist, which was run by the various REIs. And every Tuesday and Thursday, the Multilist book would come out with everyone's stock and you would go into a conjunction. So different times, but uh, good times. Yeah. So I've got an uncle that was in real estate too around the same time. And the stories are very similar. Like you get people in your car, you take them around, you walk up and down the street, you talk to people. And that was the way you prospected back then. But there's a part of me that sort of says that should not have changed. Like do people rely too much on the internet and leads coming into them now? 100% they do. You know, if I think about that, I remember, and this is kind of off track, but it'll make sense. I had a guy come down from Maribyrnong who said he wanted to buy a property. And I said, you know, what's bringing you this way? And he said, I'm the new breathalyzer sergeant at Whittam Station. And I thought, I need to know this guy. We need to be mates. And I drove he and his wife around for eight days and I saw every single agent in the Wynnum Manly area, grabbed the keys and we all helped each other. It was just what you did. And so I think we've lost that relationship piece. We've become overly competitive. And I think it's a bit crazy because, you know, I think we all operate under one big tent and we should acknowledge that. So, yeah, I think it's a shame. We got lazy, you know, we look at, you know, I'm going to guess this, but I reckon probably more than 70% of our industry get 90% of their business from big red and big green. And that's a shocking indictment on us that we have all these wonderful CRMs and good social management tools and all this stuff we could do, but it's just easier to sit back and just wait for the leads to come in from big red and big green and then bitch like crazy about the amount of money we pay them. Like we have, so many of our agents have abrogated their responsibility to market their business and build relationships rather than just be taking leads from local agent finder or whatever. If that's what you want to do, that's okay, but don't bleed about it, you know, except that you're lazy. Do you think that, you know, like, because we're both great advocates of innovation and technology, which I mentioned about you, and that was how we met, I think, at an RE bar camp or something like that, like a thousand years ago. And I'm not joking about that, right? (laughs) Like a different place in a different time. How do you combine the best of the digital and the human these days? Because I know that's a topic that you specialize in. So what can agents be doing now to sort of not lose that lovely community feeling that you've just been talking about, but also take advantage of the tools? Just be focused on doing it. You know, just be focused on, you know, getting out and talking to people. You know, honestly, Sam, if I wanted stock in my early days, and I still believe it worked today, I would just go to the Wynnum RSL Club on a Friday night or a Saturday afternoon or the Wynnum Manly Leagues Club. And I'd walk in the door and someone would say, hey, Brewer, hey, Brewer, hey, Brewer, you know, you know, because I had relationships with people. And my daughter wants to buy, my daughter wants to sell, my son wants to do this. And, and when I got too busy, I was talking to the RSL Club or the football club. But it's getting a relationship into the community. And, you know, I think we've complicated a really simple business. My dad used to say this. We've complicated a really simple business of find a seller, find a buyer, and put them together. We've got all this other crap that goes on, you know. I mean, we confuse the shit out of people. I think consumers want four things today. I think they want speed, they want simplicity, they want transparency, and they want personalization. And that might sound complex, but it ain't that complex. You know, they want things now, so make sure we deliver stuff now. They want it to be simple. Why do we make people jump through so many frigging hoops? You know, listening to a trainer recently who said, you know, if someone rings and tries to make an appointment with you at two o'clock this afternoon, don't take it. Tell them you're busy. 
telling you you're only available between four and five. What a lot of crap. If they want us to do business in two, do business in two. So let's make it simple, you know. Speed, a transparency. There's a lot of mistrust in this world. And so we've got to be super transparent so that people do absolutely believe and understand that we actually are legit, not hiding stuff. And the personalization stuff, and that annoys the shit out of me that we spend all this money on magnificent CRMs and AI that can do some amazing stuff, but we use those CRMs as an uploader to REA or a way to send out 20,000 newsletters to someone that inquired about a property you know, 15 years ago instead of seriously using personalization to build relationships with people. So I think it's a mix of the digital stuff, but it is getting absolutely actively involved in your community. Yeah. If you had to go back to selling real estate today, if you were to start all over today, tell me what you'd do. Day one, what would you do when you walked into the office? I'd build an online presence really quickly. I would build lots of testimonials in a video form from people that know me or past clients. I'd have a rocking website. I'd provide lots of free information to people. So that would be the digital side of things. And then I'd be out built on the door of the local Rotary Club, the Lions Club, the school, you know, the 50 and over leisure center. And I'd be just talking to people. I'd be working out, how can I help them? It's the rules of business for me have always been the same. It's give to get. Give something and you'll get something in return. You know, it's kind of the law of reciprocity. Do something nice for someone else, there's a fair chance they're going to reciprocate and do something nice in return. So I think that's the simple recipe. It is a long game. But if you're in this profession and it's not a game, as I heard someone say the other day, or a caper, I'm in the caper of real estate. You're in a profession, please treat it that way and be in for a long game where you'll actually show people sit back and go, actually, actually give a shit. Not they turn up in their shiny new Mercedes Benz with the fancy Rolex and the Brett leg, you know, whatever, you know, and take the five, ten or fifteen grand commission, jump in the beamer and disappear into the sunset saying, Thanks for the money, honey, we'll catch you later. That's got to stop. You know, it's not wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. It's about looking after people. Anyway, I'm rambling. Yeah, no, it's, I was just going to let you go then because, you know, like I could relate to so much of what you were saying then. So we've both been real estate customers this year. Like we've both sold houses. You, um, you know, sadly, because you lost your mom and me because we decided to flip something. But I know what it was like me dealing with a real estate agent in real life, let's just call it IRL. How did you find it and how did you choose your real estate agent? It's funny, I wrote the REA testimonial last night, review last night. I'd used Lynn and Rowan on a previous occasion and to sell Dad's house. And I just found the process to be really, really good with them. They were transparent. They weren't flashy and showy. I wanted someone in this case, because it was pretty emotional having lost mum, I wanted someone who was going to be, that would have empathy. And from the get-go, Rowan said, mate, you're going to need a hand with this. How about I come down and give you a hand? And he spent a day with me clearing stuff out of the house. You know, and that just said, he cared, you know? And the same thing with Lynn. She became, I think, probably more emotionally invested in the sale than I did. And so the marketing was spot on. We had fantastic reach. So I chose them, one, because they were an IQ agent, two, because prior relationship with them, and I just knew they'd deliver the goods, and they did. Yeah, amazing. But it's hard, isn't it? Like, it really, really is hard. I saw a billboard down at Wenham last week, and I can't think of who the agent was. Anyway, it's right at the end of Edith's Red at Wenham. Massive billboard. And as the agent says, the testimony from the client is, we chose Barry because he's the agent we hated the least. <laughs> I can relate to that too. <laughs> you know, 
yeah, but I thought that was gold. And so there's this level of mistrust. And so we've got to do whatever we possibly can through third-party social proof, prove to people that we actually give a shit. And mm. I think if you can do that, then you got it nailed. Why a good agent doesn't get a video testimonial, if you're going to get a third party to do it for you, then do it. Get a video testimonial from every single person that you do business with and put that on your website. It's not you saying you're a rock star. It's someone else saying you're a rock star. And if you were to do have 20 of those, 30 of those, 50 of those, 60 of those on your website with what my client said and sent that in advance of every listing presentation, you just turn up and get the authority signed. You know, but we don't do that for whatever damn reason. We, you know, we don't do that. Anyway, so many opportunities, but it's we have this fear of technology. And I said, Sam, and be and interrupting, you know, just stop me if I go too far. But you know, in two thousand and seven, I remember being at NAR in Las Vegas. It was an amazing conference. I came back and I reinvented myself from there, and I've used it every time I've been on a stage since. Real estate agents won't be replaced by technology. They'll be replaced by real estate agents who effectively use technology. And I reckon 80% of people agree with that, but I reckon only 20% have actually ever followed through on it. And I reckon you're probably seeing something similar with the work that you're doing around AI. Everyone's saying, oh, my God, that's magnificent. But do we actually do something about it other than just saying, oh, yeah, no, we do it? Well, you're not freaking doing it. So that's the challenge, isn't it? It's embracing it and putting it in place. Yeah, I think it is. And what I've said to a lot of people is, the same thing is that an agent that uses AI will replace an agent that doesn't, like, or an agent with AI is more powerful than an agent that doesn't use it. But it's also about the time that you save, because if you save time and drive around the neighborhood in your Ferrari or go and play golf, more yeah. power to you. But, you know, you're supposed to use the time that you save, I feel, by being more human and spending more time in the human interactions. That's what technology gives you. That's the balance, isn't it? That's absolutely using the balance, you know? Unless you're absolutely addicted to your yeah. work, and if that's you, I think that's a shame. And that's a whole other conversation around, but I'd love to have later on about leaders in our industry putting you know, unrealistic expectations on the hours that people work and all that kind of stuff. But we can come back to that if you like. But I was actually just getting to that because you've been obviously worked with some of the biggest organizations like both here and the USA and in New Zealand. And we see a lot of common challenges across the world that people are experiencing in real estate businesses. What are some of the challenges that you're seeing and how are some of the top agencies addressing them? It's a great question. How are they addressing them? I think the challenges are getting people to show up and be consistent and not having them addicted or married to their jobs or having an expectation that they should be addicted or married to their jobs. You know, you can't function at premium performance all the time. Well, maybe you can. There's the occasional rock star, but not everyone's a rock star. Yet our industry sets this expectation of million-dollar agents. I mean, seriously, I don't care whether you're a million-dollar agent. It doesn't float my boat at all. I want to know that you've got a healthy relationship, you haven't got a drug problem, you're not suffering from anxiety or depression, you know, that you're going financially okay. And if that means you're earning 120 grand a year and you're happy, and you're doing a good job, more power to you. You know, this fallacy of, you know, you've got to be a million-dollar agent, you've got to be in the 4am club, you've got to be stressed. You know, I worked with an agency not that long ago, or it was a short working time, so I said a young bloke was working for the business. He said, oh, we're there to late 30 every night. And I said, why are you there to late 30 every night? He said, because they changed the alarm code at 8.30 every night at the business. And so if you want to get back in the next day, you've got to be there to late 30 at night. And I said, are you working? He said, no, it's kind of this 
Mexican standoff thing that were all these testosterone-fueled young men with leased-up beamers and pointy shoes and spiky hair are sitting around it, you know, in this office till 8.30. We're like, what the fuck's that about? So the challenges are drugs. The challenges are expectations on income and work, which is some of it's done by our peers and some of it's done by our leaders. And how do you deal with it? You actually be a really good business owner and sit down and work out business plans with people to make sure they're not working or overworking themselves. I've seen too many suicides, too many relationship breakdowns, too many repossessions of vehicles, et cetera, from people in our industry, and we lose so many good people that we should never ever lost if they were just ever realistic expectation was put on them. Does that make sense? Yeah, I 100% understand what you're saying. I mean, I think well, I've been in the real estate industry now for about 10, 12 years. And I think I spent my first five years doing, you know, 16, 17, 18 hour days because I thought I had to do it too. And, you know, and I do think that that is something that we need to change the perception of. You know, it it burnt me out and it takes a while to come back from that. You know, absolutely. I remember from a personal perspective, it was probably around 2000. I went to my doctor, Dr. Lahans Wenham, and I said, mate, I'm out of control. You know, I'm doing so many things. I'm awake at two o'clock in the morning. I'm looking at the ceiling. I was, you know, and he said, you don't slow the fuck down. The only way we'll fix you will be with tablets. So just slow the fuck down. Stop this bullshit, you know, all this crap that was pressure on me to, you know, to perform. External pressure, speakers, trainers, all these rock stars that were doing a bazillion things. Anyway, it was about 2000. So about 2005, I went back to Dr. Lahanas. I said, got those tablets for me, you know, and so I didn't listen to what he said. And what brought it all about was we were having a bit of a photo night with some friends and they saw all these photos of me on Fuji and, you know, New Zealand and on the Eye in London and New York. I'd heard of this magazine trip, but not one of those photos was I smiling in. And they said, Brewer, what's wrong with you? And I went, what have you been? He said, you're in all these beautiful places around the world, but you don't have a smile on your face. I went, holy shit. I've forgotten to enjoy myself. I'm married to my job. And so that was enough for me to say, this has to change. And I think all of us need to set some of those disciplines and not feel that pressure from all these other people. You know, I listened to a video from a guy who's a bit of a high profile influencer in our industry on LinkedIn the other day. It was talking about, essentially was saying leisure is almost a weakness. You should be passionate about your job. That should be your passion. Don't go wasting time relaxing. And I'm going, what the fuck's that about? Seriously, that counters so much of the good stuff that the people at Rise do and what makes good long-term people survive our profession for a long period of time to have enjoyable careers with a balance. So we've got to stop that. Well, I think so too. I've said for a number of years that I think downtime is actually probably productive time because you and I both know that when you sort of stop over Christmas, it's often when you have your best ideas. And I'd challenge anyone to sort of go that they haven't had some great genius idea sitting on a cocktail lounge by the pool in some nice place over Christmas. And that's why I think. Totally. You've got to hit the reset button, the old control, alt, delete. Let's go back and reboot it. And it's it's all, all those gems that come out. You know, for me, that used to be when it was manic, you know, that'd be at 2.30 in the morning, be going, oh my God, why don't I show them this? Or, oh, I should be doing this. So, you know, to actually do that in a more structured way. An old mate of mine used to, he and his wife would go to, he was extreme. He would go to Hamilton Island for three or four days. It's just his wife 
and he and they book out a conference room and sit there and make up their business plan for the next 12 months. But, you know, it's probably not that silly. We plan so many other things, so why not map out your business plan for your own life properly? Someone wise once said to me that you can never read the label from inside the jar. Oh, wow. Yeah, I like that. That's good. Uh, boom, hey? Yeah, boom. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Anyway. You're passionate about the topic on consumers and why consumers think we're all wankers. I was going to put that much more nicely by (laughs) saying, you know, that the Governance Ethics Index, again, (laughs) real estate agents rated quite low, but obviously you are that Peter Brewer and you just call it like you see it. What would you like to see change in the industry? I'd like to see our leaders, both institutes and franchise groups and major independents, be serious about the topic of careers and mental health, careers mostly. I'd like them to actually walk the talk. It's all very well to head off to a RISE event or all kinds of things and talk, oh, we care about people, but it's not necessarily what I always see followed through in their expectations. And I would like to think that we would spend more time developing people's careers. You know, that old thing, Sam, of, you know, new people start the business and they get three things. And it still happens today. You get three things when you start. You get a phone, you get a desk, and you get a month. Good luck. That's not good enough. You know, I don't do it anymore, but I used to run careers nights for the REIQ and people would say to me, these are new people. You know, which office should I go to? Where should I go? And I go, well, you've got to go somewhere where the business owner is invested in your career. And I'd say to, you know, I've got to be honest with you, you are a liability to that business for the first probably six to eight months. And so you want someone that gives a shit about your career, that's going to do a listing presentation with you, that's going to help you through the prospect, and is going to sit down at the start of the day or at the end of the day, or at least do that three times a week or three days a week and make sure that you're on track. And some people say, yeah, yeah, but I can get 92% if I go here. And I go, you're going to get 92% of nothing. I'd much rather you get 20% of something. And if you're good enough, negotiate the commissions later on. Just go with an office where the business owner is invested in your career. And so I think business owners have a responsibility to make sure that the people we put on actually last. I was in New York and Simon, it was an Inman conference and Simon Sinek was on stage. And one of the audience members got up and Sinek had, he'd, Simon Sinek had waxed lyrical about staff and people and, you know, and this woman got up in the, the central microphone and said, yeah, 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 that's all very good, but what have you got a dickhead working for you? And he looked straight back and he said, who employed them? And that's so important. Like, if we see enough in someone to give them a gig, then we owe it to ourselves and to them to actually invest in making sure that they're successful. And if that doesn't happen, then find them another job. We'll help them move on. But don't just cast people that could because you know, they didn't get five deals in you know five days or whatever it might be. So I would like our business owners to treat humans like humans, careers like careers, and not just use people as a endless, you know, seven coming, seven going, seven not sure what's happening. So I think that would certainly help if our leaders focused on doing that. That would actually solve a heap of the problems. Yeah, that's a great question by Simon Sinek, isn't it? You know, like who hired them? It really makes you think about accountability there, doesn't it? Totally. Yeah, you can't just and say, well, they're a dickhead, because I'm sure five minutes after you employed them, you probably went to your wife or your husband or the staff and said, I've got this cracking new bloke or girl that's going to join us. Oh, she's going to be unbelievable. And then, you know, for whatever reason, it just, you know, they weren't the magic worker. You know, we then start to cast them to the curb. So, no, I think 
if you're going to put someone on, then take the responsibility and sit down and spend some time with them and give them every possible chance. Go and do some letterbox drop with them. I was talking to a client of mine in Sunshine Beach last week about one of her new people. Pip's been there for 38 years. And she said, I'm going letterbox dropping with this new staff member this week. That's fantastic. You know, so that's leadership. Do I believe in letterbox dropping? No, I think it's crap. But she's actually going and walking the talk, you know, for them. I think it's a win on the creativity and a win on the relationship building. So if they need a piece of paper in their hands, well, (laughs) it was a good one. (laughs) That's a good one. Yeah, true. In your bio, you mentioned 5831, and I'm curious, what does that mean? Okay, 5831. Well, here's the thing. Probably five years, pre-COVID, I was at an Inman conference again in New York, and I think it was Chris Smith was on stage, and he was talking about some research that NAR had done, National Association of Realtors had done, on the industry in the United States. And 5831 was the stat on, and it's simply this. The average age of a real estate agent in the United States was 58 years of age. The average age of the person consuming the product was 31, hence the 5831. And I thought about that, and I brought that stat back and I ran it across most of the institutes of Australia, most of the major franchise groups, and and it's pretty similar as well. Average age of, of agent and people at the top is 58, average age of consumer 31. Now, here's the thing, is if you think about the disconnect between 58s and 31s, it's a fairly significant disconnect on expectations. Like if I'm going to talk to my son, Sam, I'll pick up the phone and I'll ring him. And it'll go ring, 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 voicemail. And in five seconds, I'll get a text message from Sam that says, what do you want? And I'll text back, I want to talk to you, little shit, pick up the phone. And he says, now, what do you want? Who's in charge of the conversation? Sam is. And so behaviors have changed. And so we as real estate professionals need to understand that the way we might have been doing business for the last bazillion years might have worked for us, but it's probably not working for the new consumer. The days we alluded to before, we put a buyer into the key into the car until they buy or die. My kids can't believe we actually had people in our cars and drove them around for eight days. (laughs) And so we have to understand those rules of engagement have changed and understand the 31s and the 25s and whatever it is want to do things significantly differently. And we can either sit back and say, well, that's bullshit, they'll do it my way, or understand that we better change. And in some respects, we do do that, but there's plenty of agents that don't do that. And so I think that's significant. And it's why I think I said, yeah, you know, I think one of the smartest hires for real estate businesses today is probably a pimply-faced 17-year-old kid out of school. You know, I think that's one of the smartest hires that you could have in your business that would actually bring you into a bit of reality of what today's consumer wants because they've had a diet of only that and that's what they see the world to be, the new normal to be. Yeah, there's so much we can learn from our kids, even over the holidays, sort of observing the interactions of a couple of 22-year-olds I found fascinating. Totally. You know, look, whether it's their use of TikTok, whether it's their terminology, whether it's, you know, using the gram properly, understanding socials properly, they will teach you so much as a more senior business owner about today's consumer. And if you don't listen to that, it's easy for us to sit back and say, well, you know, I've been in this for 40 years. I'm the fight of all wisdom. Well, dude, we're learning every day. I'm learning every day and I love it. So we should be prepared to open up to that and go, well, maybe I don't have the recipe for Coke. 
Maybe I don't know what all those 11 herbs and spices are. Maybe there's other stuff for me to, to learn. So, yeah. Yeah, amazing. And so, as I understand, you are writing a book at the moment. So, tell me a little bit about the book. I'm loving writing it, Sam. Thank you. I'm writing a book and it's called Running Out of Saturdays. I started writing it because I wanted my kids to know a few of my stories of life and understand, you know, I'm not such a crazy old wanker in the first place, although who knows. And so I wanted to share those stories, but it's kind of grown beyond that now. And I'm, I've written 65,000 words, so I reckon I've got to write another 30-odd thousand to, to do what qualifies as a book. And I think I'll get it published now. And it's called Running Out of Saturdays for this reason. I'm not a biblical man, but apparently the Bible says something about us having three score years and 10, 70 years. And so I'm now at 64. Based on that, I think I've got, last count was about 314 Saturdays left. And so I'm running out of Saturdays, but we're all running out of Saturdays. And so the book is just stories of my personal life, of my real estate life that shares a lot of fun, but also some business lessons along the way or some life lessons along the way. And, you know, there's a fair bit of comedy in it. And it's just to, I guess, I'll, you know, beyond the kids, I want the world and our industry to lighten the fuck up and share some of the fun. Because, you know, we're not out there curing cancer. We're out there helping people. We have some of the most amazing interactions with people. And those stories are absolute gold. And so, you know, I want to sit back and laugh a bit. I will publish it. I'll get some printed. Whether I run around Australia and sell a couple of copies, I'm not sure. But I'm really, really loving sitting down, learning to be a better writer. And it's fascinating because I caught up with my former English teacher recently, and he's up at Sunshine Beach, and we were reminiscing about, you know, he used to give me the cane because I didn't know what an adverb was or a pronoun or an adjective or any of that stuff or a verb, and I still don't. And he was saying, but bro, you were so friggin' hopeless in English. And I said, yeah, and I still don't. But Steve, I've still managed to get 65,000 words out, most of them, you know, are coherent and fun. So that's a whole other conversation around schools and teaching, which I address in the book. So I don't know whether you've had a chance to read any of it, but there's a few snippets floating around. I have actually. And I was just wondering if you might, just in closing the podcast today, I mean, we could talk for hours literally, but you are such a fantastic storyteller that I was wondering if there is a memorable property or sale that might be going in running out of Saturdays that you'd like to just give us a little taste of today? I'll go with Ireland. I'll go with Mr. and Mrs. Baclavar. So it was a Friday morning. Real estate hadn't been kind to me at that stage. I had an egg left in the fridge and I wasn't going back to the mainland until Sunday. So I had to make an egg last me three days. And I figured out if I have the white on the Friday, the yellow on the Saturday, and I can have the shell on Sunday, for roughage, of course, you've got to have your roughage. And so I was pretty desperate to do a deal. And I had this Greek couple coming over from West End in Brisbane on the Sunday at 11 o'clock to look at buying a block of land. And I was absolutely committed to selling this, this whole Greek couple a block of land. So they arrived at Russell Island where I was, and they're at the jetty, you know, in the island car, which were absolute, you know, the reason why they were on the island, because they wouldn't be roadworthy on a mainland. And they arrived and I put them in the car and I drove them all around Russell Island showing them these blocks of land, all about seven and a half thousand, and they didn't like it. You know, there's too many hippies, too many three-legged dogs, too many combis. Russell Island was just wasn't their kind of thing. Okay, right, one island down, three to go. So jump on the taxi boat, we go across to McLe- to Caragara Island. 
into the island car, we'd drive around this, this rusty old bloody valley, and it was, and they didn't like Karagara Island. It was too flat. Like my, you know, the three bears. Anyway, so didn't like that. We go across to Maclay Island. I'd get into the island car, drive them all around Maclay Island, hoping this is it. I need this sale. I've got to make this happen, right? I'm salivating about hopefully having enough money to buy a steak at the Cleveland Sands Hotel that night. All around Maclay Island, there's, you know, pot smoking hippies at the jetty. There's a drum circle there and they go, <laughs> for a Greek couple from the West End, this isn't their thing. So we end up getting a taxi boat across to Lamb Island. It's my last chance. It's four o'clock. It's Sunday afternoon. The last boat goes at 4.40. I've got 40 minutes to sell Mr. and Mrs. Baklavar a block of land. How hungry are you by this time? I am starving. You know, and, you know, <laughs> well, you know, I'm starting to look at my right arm and it's getting pretty attractive. <laughs> like I've seen some roadkill up on Wahidi Drive and I thought, well, if, the, if, the, if the magpies will eat it, maybe I'll eat it. So I'm desperate. We get to the island car. Lamb's a pretty nice kind of island. We get to the island car. I'm in the front seat with the driver's seat. Mr. Backlar's beside him. Mrs. Backlar's in the back seat. That's all very good. You know, vroom, 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 vroom. you know, pull the keys out under the mat. Vroom, vroom, got the car going, right? That's okay. And I'm trying to jam the bloody car into D for drive. And it won't go. Well, uh, uh, trying to drive the old three on the tree. Trying to get in there to drive. It won't go. The best I could do is I'm going, and I thought, I can't walk them around the island, right? You know, I've got 40 minutes to do this. So I thought, brainwave, like you've got to be creative in this business. And so I got jam, and I got it into reverse. Well, I went, okay. I said to Mr. Baclavar, turn around, look out the back window. Mrs. Baclavar, turn around, look out the back window. They said, what are you saying, Peter? And I said, turn around, we're going to off Lamb Island in reverse. And away we went. We reversed around Lamb Island. I'm going, the block on your left, which is my right. <laughs> and the locals are around going, what is this dude about? Anyway, I don't know whether it was through pure sympathy or whether they actually loved it. They bought a waterfront block of land for me at the far end of Lamb Island. And we got out, we did the contract on the bonnet. I knew how to do a contract by then. And we reversed all the way back to the jetty. And I went to the Cleveland Sands. And I had my T-bone steak that night. Anyway, so that's probably the one that was fun. That's an abridged version of how that was. but. You know, by the end of the day, they were pretty happy to, you know, they wanted to marry me off to, you know, any of their five daughters. They'd had a great time. They laughed like a drain. And it, for me, that was the thing of perseverance, perseverance. I wasn't going back to the office without a contract and I needed a feed. So that's one of many stories. Yeah, I was actually about to say, what was the big lesson from that, you know, that we can take through today? Because often, you know, the big lessons are standouts. Because I can imagine how hungry, like I know how hungry I'd been on one egg for two days. I'd be wanting to make that ferry. <laughs> oh, 100%. And I didn't want to go back to the office after a week and say I did nothing for the week. And I went, you know, I've been trained and trained and trained and it's perseverance. And there's a lesson in that. You know, I could have, would have been really easy to say, oh, Russell Island's no good for you. Just jump on the boat, go home. And I went, nah, I'm going to try Carragara. Nah, I'm going to try McClay. Nah, I'm going to try Lamb. And then, you know, the final thing was you can't get the bloody Carter to either D for drive. And I went, I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. And I think that's a lesson. It was an important one for me because they became a payday and they became good friends and they bought their block of land and it was awesome. So, yeah. You almost got a wife as well. Yeah, I nearly got a wife. I nearly got a whole family. Yeah. (laughs) Amazing. Well, I want to thank you today, Peter, for coming along and sharing some stories, some laughs, some of your infinite wisdom with us. We super appreciate it and hope you'll come back soon. 
But for today, if there was one thing that you'd like to leave everyone with or one message or one takeaway, what would it be? Humility. Let's have an industry that's got some humility. We don't need to be run around hashtag boom, hashtag suburb record, hashtag next big thing, hashtag, you know, all that kind of stuff. Just have some humility. Get out and do the business that we need to do. Look after people. The business will come. It just will come. It just will come if you do the right thing. We don't need all the other showy bullshit. It might be sexy and, you know, and the trainers might tell you to do that. But, you know, just go and treat people as human beings and it will pay you back thousandfold. So let's just show some humility. You know, you don't see your local heart surgeon or physiotherapist, you know, racing out going, you know, with their social pages, hashtag another brain, another back fixed, you know, hashtag another ankles, you know. Just do the business and look after people. Make sure that you've got good word of mouth that where people become ambassadors. I call them sneezers. You know, you want people who are sneezers, who are infecting a community and sneezing the messages of, you know, who you are and how good you are. Do that. You got it nailed. Yeah, amazing. Timeless wisdom. Peter Brewer, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Sam. You're doing good work. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Elevate podcast. With thanks to Connect Now. To stay in touch with all things Elite Agent, sign up for our daily newsletter, The Brief, at eliteagent.com slash subscribe. 